0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on the current state of compliance issues and challenges, where I visit with Terry Orr, a Managing Director at Kroll, a division of Duff & Phelps. Kroll is the sponsor of this podcast series. In this podcast series, we visit with Terry about his professional background, the current state of compliance through the lens of recent FCPA enforcement actions, the evaluation of Corporate Compliance Program's 2019 guidance. We consider some of the specific issues for compliance in the private equity arena and the increased importance of compliance in the ever-changing healthcare space. First, a word about our sponsor, Kroll and Duff and & Phelps. Kroll is a leading provider of risk solutions. For more than 45 years, Kroll has helped clients make confident risk management decisions about people, assets, operations, and security through a wide range of investigations, cybersecurity, due diligence, and compliance, physical and operational security, and data and information management services. For more information on Kroll, visit Kroll's website, www.kroll.com. Duff & Phelps The parent of Kroll is the global advisor that protects, restores, and maximizes value for clients in the areas of valuation, corporate finance, investigations, disputes, cybersecurity compliance, regulatory matters, and other government-related issues. Duff & Phelps works with clients across diverse sectors, mitigating risk to assets, operations, and people. With Kroll, a division of Duff & Phelps since 2004, the firm has nearly 3,500 professionals in 28 countries around the world. More information on Duffin Phelps, visit their website ww.duffinphelps.com. In this episode, we look at the recent evaluation of corporate compliance programs 2019 guidance issued by the Department of Justice in April of this year. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode with Terry Orr. We are going to take up the Department of Justice's most recent Pronouncement on corporate compliance programs, which appeared in April 2019 in the form of the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs 2019 Guidance. First of all, Terry, uh, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Terry, I think I found this to be one of the more seminal documents or releases of information from the Department of Justice in 2019, and I've really wanted to put the question to you. What can we learn from this announcement, together with the uh, recent uh, speech by Assistant Attorney General Brian Binchkowski announcing the new guidance for the evaluation of corporate compliance programs?
1: Well, Tom, uh, I think a lot of people have spoken um, directly about the new guidance. Um, What I'm going to attempt to do today is talk a little bit about um, the changes um, in this guidance uh, from what was um, informal guidance issued by the Fraud Section of the Criminal Division in 2017. While it's more of a change in form than substance, I think there are some significant changes that uh, should be considered, and that's what I'm going to try to highlight.
0: So, uh, what were some of the major differences uh, you noted?
1: Well, first of all, um, while this may not be a a major difference, it certainly is a clarification, and that is the prosecutor's assessment of the adequacy and effectiveness of a compliance program will be critical in determining whether and how to bring a corporate criminal case, a company's culpability. Yeah, excuse me, culpability score under the U.S. Uh, sentencing guidelines and whether an independent monitor is required post-resolution. I think that clarification is important. But some of the new uh, uh, items that I think are, are new in this guidance is that it provides a more explicit roadmap of the type of questions prosecutors consider when determining the effectiveness of a company's compliance policies. Namely, is the compliance program well designed? Is it effectively implemented? And does it actually work in practice? Under the current guidance, there is an increased focus on the roles of senior and middle management in enforcing a compliance program. Prosecutors will ask, did senior management encourage a culture of compliance? Um, the DOJ will look for specific occasions when managers encouraged employees to act unethically or to achieve a business obje- objective, or did the senior management demonstrate leadership in the company's compliance and remediation efforts? Did the company seek feedback from employees about the performance of senior management to better understand the efficacy of the company's messaging or compliance? I think that's important, uh, an important change. Another is the new guidance specifically instructs prosecutors to assess whether a company's internal audit function is identifying issues relevant to the risk that should be addressed by the compliance program. The guidance instructs prosecutors to consider the process by which internal audit determines the location, frequency, and types of audits it conducts. Again, I think that's um, a more in-depth roadmap and guidance that uh, is provided in, in um, this recent uh, uh, in in the recent guidance. The updated guidance also suggests that companies can enhance training programs by incorporating practical advice or case studies to address real-life scenarios. Additionally, the new guidance looks to whether a company measures the effectiveness of compliance training and whether there is remedial training for employees who fail to pass compliance tests. Again, I think this is a significant change and uh, one that um, compliance officers uh, definitely needs to note and and consider in making changes to their compliance programs. Finally, the, the last area is the new guidance reflects an increased interest in corporate anonymous reporting mechanisms noting that confidential reporting mechanisms are highly substantiating of whether a company has established corporate governance mechanisms that can effectively detect and prevent misconduct. The revised guidance specifically tasked the prosecutor with ascertaining whether a company has an anonymous mechanism in place, and if not, why. And if it does exist, the DOJ will further inquire as to whether the mechanisms have been utilized, and whether the company has created a workplace environment without fear of retaliation for reporting complaints. I think those are some of the the highlights that I noted um, and differences in the new guidance.
0: Terry, the uh, uh, I really like the way you um, sort of articulated a, a couple of the uh, overriding or overall themes of the new guidance. And a couple of things struck me was throughout, whether it be an internal investigation, whether it be the hotline, whether it be a risk uh, risk assessment, whether it be a root cause analysis, the department seemed to be uh, tasking compliance practitioners with taking uh, not a new step, but perhaps a more focused additional step of not just performing those fun- those uh, tasks, but using the information. Uh, basically, looping it back in as a continuous improvement technique, so that they could improve their compliance program. Uh, is that something that uh, you saw as well?
1: I, I do. Um, certainly, the you know the feedback on on uh, senior management, middle management's performance, uh, how things are working. You know, the focus on whether the compliance program, the internal control structure. Uh, is working effectively and what they are considering as risk um, requires continuous monitoring and reassessment of those uh, risks, how you're uh, testing to um, make sure that your compliance program is addressing those risks, and the continuous measurement of management's senior Middle management's involvement in in uh, supporting the company's efforts, and then finally to emphasize uh, the point that you ask about is um, in your training programs uh, the assessment of how people are um, uh, responding to or or um, learning from. What uh, the effectiveness of those training programs, and and, and for employees that uh, don't do well in, in the program, is there some kind of remediational training that is performed? I think those all of those things um, address that continuous learning loop that you um, that you mentioned.
0: Uh, the other observation, Terry, was the the use of the word culture. And it was specified multiple times uh, within the document. Is that something you are uh, seeing that companies are beginning to perhaps pay a little bit more attention to? And, you know, all the way from uh, assessing culture to uh, surveys around culture to talking about culture to trying to improve culture. Is that something as well?
1: Uh, it is. And in my practice, I've seen uh, a number of companies. Um, reassessing uh, their culture, uh, not only the, their control structure, but the culture around their control structure, the thinking of uh, how it, uh, the importance of it in, in their business. And I think we're seeing that on a broader uh, basis as well. Um, this is not only domestic companies in the U.S., but international companies. I'm seeing them becoming more concerned with cultural, what I'll say, cultural issues, the Me Too movements, uh, uh, a lot of things that are um, a little broader than maybe a control structure uh, with fraud, but certainly uh, cultural issue issues and cultural thinking. I just read something uh, just uh, recently that said uh, employees in a recent survey. In the Scandinavian companies, uh, countries were uh, willing to take less pay uh, to work for a company with good cultural governance, and I found that really interesting. The importance of culture in businesses today.
0: Terry, the uh, the other thing that struck me that you just touched upon was the uh, 2019 guidance and. Uh, Assistant Attorney General Brian Binkowski's announcement last October around uh, corporate monitorships. But there was a second part to that, which I thought uh, was interesting, which was really a roadmap for companies on how to avoid uh, corporate monitorships or the steps they needed to to take to do so. So I wanted to end by asking, do, do you see the Binkowski memo uh, from October, 2018 and the 2019 guidance released in April, uh, this year as really, uh, two documents that should be read, uh, jointly by the compliance practitioner for insights?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, that, um, attorney, assistant attorney general, uh, 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 gave some real insights that, um, support the guidance, um, and, uh, uh, I, I, I certainly agree that they, they both uh, need to be read in conjunction with one another.
0: Well, Terry, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, uh, but I wanted to thank you, and I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I hope you will join us again tomorrow for our next episode. Once again, if you have any questions on Kroll, you can check out their website, That's www.kroll.com this special five-part podcast presentation on the current state of compliance issues and challenges is sponsored by Kroll. It's a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network, and it's also available through the C-Suite Radio. Thank you for listening. I look forward to visiting with you tomorrow.